Today, we're going to look at God's Word. If you remember when I spoke a few weeks ago, we looked at the little book of Habakkuk. Do you remember the book of Habakkuk? If you remember, there were two questions and a prayer. Well, we're going to look at a new little book today in the New Testament. So I asked you before, and I think part of preaching is teaching. How many books are in the Bible? There's 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39 and 27 in the New Testament. Now, of those 27 books in the New Testament, 21 are letters. They're written to different groups of believers. So 27 books in the New Testament. There's four Gospels. There's the book of Acts. There's the book of Revelation. But 21 of these books in the New Testament are like letters that were written by leaders in the church to various groups. The little book we're going to look at today, Jude, is the next to the last book in the Old Testament. So if you go to Revelation and you go right before Revelation, you'll find the book of Jude. Now, I gave you a learning tool today. Some people like these, some people don't. Don't feel like you have to fill this out. But if you'd like to follow along, and this kind of helps organize the book of Jude. It's interesting that the book of Jude was written by a guy who, whose real name was Judas. I think he changed his name to Jude, you know, after. <laughs> and it's not the Jude of, hey, Jude. That's a whole different thing, okay? But this Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. In your outline, you'll see the brother of James and the half-brother of Jesus, his mother. Now, according to those of us that are Baptist Christians in the Protestant view, um, Jesus had half-brothers. The Catholic Church doesn't believe that. And I don't want to get into the argument about it, but the, there is a verse, and I've listed it there in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. You'll see underneath this first section, you can see that Jesus had four brothers, and one of them was Judas. Most scholars believe that that's the Jude that wrote this book, okay? And I wanted you to know that as we begin to look at it. He was an unbeliever during Jesus' ministry. You can find that in John Chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, I put it there for you if you'd like to look that up. Uh, he didn't believe that his half-brother was the Messiah until after Jesus' resurrection. He was a believer after Jesus' resurrection. You'll find that in Acts 1.14. And then he probably became a missionary for the early church, and you'll find a reference to that in 1 Corinthians 9.5. I don't want to get bogged down there, but I wanted you to understand who this person is and why he would be an authority to write about Jesus. Now, we're followers of Jesus Christ. That's what, who we are as Christians, little Christ. We're trying to be like him. And all these books in the New Testament were written after his life to tell us more about him and how we should try to be like him. And now listen, how we as a church, a local body of believers, need to try to be like him and to keep his church holy, and to keep his church effective for the gospel. So this little book of Jude, it's not often studied. We're going to read the whole thing today, and so you're going to have to listen fast. And I wish we could stop in a lot of places and dive real deep. We really can't. What we're going to do is go through the book and learn, I think, one of the major points, but look at some of the finer points as well. You know, uh, tradition says that Jude died a martyr in Phoenicia. It's amazing to me 
one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is true and that Jesus is the Messiah is that people that didn't believe in him, like Jude during his lifetime, came to believe for him and not only believed in him as the Messiah and as God's son, they died for that belief. And Jude is another that probably did the best information we have. So let's look at the words of Jude. We're going to read it a few verses at a time and then work through uh, what Jude has to say to us. Let me read just the first three verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say the brother of Jesus Christ. He says a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Could we pray as we begin to dig into this book? Father, right now we have the holy task of looking into your word. Father, I have the great responsibility of trying to expound upon it. I pray that you would keep me from mistake and error, that you would guide me as I speak, and that, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us as we hear your word. Lord, there are those here today that probably don't know your Son as Savior. There are those here today that maybe aren't walking in the way they know they should, living the way they should. And, Father, there are those that need to be strengthened as they learn to become better disciples. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would accomplish all those things, revealing truth, drawing people to you, and, Lord, showing us how we can live and be more like Christ. So do that today, Father, as we look into your word and do it for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to notice some things in, in what we call this salutation. You know, many of these letters, when you write a letter to somebody, and by the way, we don't write many letters anymore. We text and we email. But when you used to write a letter, what would you say? Dear so-and-so. And you might have a greeting. Well, in most of the letters in the gospel, the 21 letters that's in, in the New Testament, there's a greeting. And this greeting, as you can see, is from Jude. This is who's writing it. And it's to those who are called. So it's those who are called. That's the first next blank. Beloved in God the Father. Now, there's a whole sermon just in that line, those who are called. What does it mean to be called? It means God's sovereignty called you to himself, right? Have you been called? I remember when I was eight years old, and I may have shared before, but I, this is my testimony about Jesus. I was eight years old, sitting in a service up in Eureka, California. My father was preaching, and I sensed in a strong way the Spirit of God calling me, drawing me to believe in his Son. It's a personal thing. It's a thing that it's a one-by-one one thing. God's Spirit may speak in a, in, a, in a large group to one or two people, or he may speak to many, but it's an individual call. Have you been called? Let me, I need to see a nod of a head. And have you answered that call? Well, he's, he starts the message by saying to those who are called. So who's this message, who's this letter written to? Believers. And he says, beloved in God the Father. Boy, we could stop right there. How much does God love us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us. And look at the last thing, and kept for Jesus Christ. When we die and leave this world, where are we going? And who are we going to meet? Jesus. I'm telling you, 
I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And this, in these few verses, he addresses it to those who truly have been called, who truly are beloved in the Father, and who are kept for Jesus. Now, I didn't expound on it, but he is preaching to believers. Then he says this. Look at the next verse, verse 2. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. May mercy. What is mercy? That's God's forgiveness and grace. What is peace? God's presence and his power in your life and love. God's affection and his concern for you. May these most important gifts of God be multiplied to you. Again, there's a whole sermon there, but I'm not going to stop. That's just the introduction. I'd challenge you when you write a letter, if you ever write a letter, and letters are important things, that you give a salutation. If you write a letter to a child, to my child, whom I love, whom I want the best for, you see what I'm saying? And that's what Jude does in the salutation. So who's the letter, letter written to? It's written to believers. It's written to us, folks, if you're a believer. Now, now he gets to his message. And I want you to know that the message is going to be, I'm going to, I've divided it into three parts. You can do it in many more parts. But the three parts is he's going to write to what I'm going to call believers who are contenders. Say that, contenders. And he's going to talk about the challenge for contenders. What is a challenge we have as contenders, as true believers? And then in part two, he's going to talk about pretenders. Say pretenders. And he's going to talk about the problem of pretending. And then he's going to come back and have the work for, of contenders. So it's kind of like, okay, here's, here's the challenge I'm giving to contenders. Here's the problem of pretenders. And now here's some work for contenders. Are you with me? So let's look at it that way, and we're going to have to listen fast as we do this. All right. Let's look at the challenge for contenders. Now look at verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. This verse, verse 3, is, is the pivotal verse that explains this, really the purpose of this entire book. He says, beloved. Now, who are the beloved? He's talking to the believers. I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. He says, I was going to write you a letter all about how great it is to be a Christian, to talk about salvation, to talk about God's goodness, to talk about what, how wonderful it is. And then it says this, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Jude wanted to write about our common salvation. That's a big word to fit in that little, little face. He wanted to write about all the good and happy things about being a Christian. Wouldn't it be nice if all we had to do was talk about the good and the happy and the pleasant? But sometimes when Robert stands up here, he's got to talk about the not so pleasant. Because the full word of God is just not, well, I don't want to talk about the bad stuff. Let's just, let's talk about love and happiness. No, the full word of God is the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I, I like to say, okay? And, and Jude is saying, I wanted to write to you, my dear friends in Christ, about our common salvation, but I was compelled. 
What has compelled me? I mean, I, I had no choice. As I began to think and pray about you, I had no choice but to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith. That word contend is a strong word. When you think of the word, this person's contending, I always used to think of that for the title. Remember? He's contending for the title. It, it, it means you're battling. It means you're struggling. It means you're striving. And he's saying, I felt compelled to write to you to fight, to contend, to battle for what? For the faith. For the faith. Paul is, I mean, uh, Jude is saying that as Christians, it's not just a pleasant, easygoing, happy time. No, there's a part of the Christian faith that requires a struggle. It requires a battle. It requires you to contend. If you're going to say that you're a believer, you can believe, be a believer and not a contender. Are you with me? And he's saying you need to contend for the faith. Paul said it a different way. I love the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read it to you. He said this, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We've been entrusted with the faith, and it's our job to protect it, defend it, and share it. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Paul wrote and said, as believers, as true believers that have been entrusted to the faith, we're stewards of it. We're caretakers of it. It's our job to deal with it properly and to defend it in the church. And Jude said, contend earnestly for the faith. And then he ends it by saying, once for all handed down to the saints. There's a whole other phrase that could take the whole sermon. What does it mean? Once for all handed down to the saints. Well, the saints are these believers. Now, some churches pick individuals and call them saint so-and-so. In our faith, in the way we believe the Bible, if you're a, a, a true, true believer, you're a saint with a small s. See, I'm a saint. Well, some of you have a hard time saying that because you know, you know what you're really like. But the Bible says if you're forgiven... In God's eyes, you're small s, St. Philip, St. Phil. Just think of that. God has entrusted you and made you one of his children. But he says, once for all, handed down. This faith that came through Jesus Christ, who's it been entrusted to? Once for all, handed down to you. I wish you could picture that, that Jesus' death and the faith we have he has entrusted to you and to you and to you and to you. It's given to you. And you should contend for it. To me, that's such an amazing and, and frightening statement. Do you feel worthy to be entrusted? No, just be honest. No, none of us do. But the fact that you don't feel worthy to be entrusted means you're probably a true believer that has been entrusted. Are you with me? So he begins this with his salutation. He then says in this first part, I have a challenge. If you're a true contender, if you're going to contend for the faith, I have a challenge for you. Now, what is the challenge? 
Look at verse 4. Now remember, I want you to contend for the faith. Here's how you need to contend. Verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Wow. He's saying that some people have crept into the church or pretending to be a part of the church. I call them pretenders. He says this. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, folks, this book, the heart of this book is about pretenders. It's a message to contenders, but it's mainly about pretenders. And so the challenge for the contenders is if you're going to contend for the faith, he's saying watch out for pretenders. And part A, pretenders have crept into the church unnoticed. What do you think he means by that? We're going along our merry way as believers, and we're serving Jesus, trying to do the best we can, and we're oblivious to the fact that there may be people creeping in among us that are trying to harm us that truly aren't part of us. I call them wolves or goats, and they've crept in among us. And he's warning us to be aware of that. We should be on our guard against that. He's saying, make sure that you look out. Pretenders are like spies. Think of it this way. You're in the army, and there's some spies among you. They may look, smell, and dress like one of us, but they're very real and very dangerous and very different. They're agents, I think, of Satan who want to divide, who want to harm, and who want to sow discord. You know, Jesus talked about those people. In fact, in my daily Bible reading just this week, I was looking in the book uh, of Matthew. I'm reading, that's where I happen to be in my daily Bible reading. And in Matthew, Jesus talks about the wheats and the tares. Do you remember that parable? I won't read it, we just, in the interest of time, but if you'll remember, he said, a certain man sowed seed in his field, wheat, but his enemy came along and sowed tares, weeds. And as they begin to grow up together, the workers in the field said, Master, look, we've got wheat, but among the wheat, there's tares. Shall we go and pull up the tares? And what did, Jesus, what did Jesus say? No, let them both grow together until the end. And my father, in, at, the, at, the, at the judgment, at the harvest, we'll, we'll get the wheat together, we'll get the tares together. The wheat will be gathered into the barn, and the tares will burn. Now, Jesus was telling his followers that as long as we're in this world, what? There's going to be good and there's going to be evil. There's going to be those that are true saints. There's going to be phonies. Listen to me. It should not surprise us when sometimes we find a phony in the church. How many people do you know that have left the church because there was somebody who was phony in the church? It happens all the time. And yet Jesus and Jude and many of the other apostles warn us and tell us that, no, that's part of life. If you read the, old, the New Testament, those 21 books I was telling you about in the New Testament, I haven't counted them. I should have done this you will find in most of them a reference to pretenders. 
Because even in the early church, right after Jesus went back to heaven, they had the same problem. This is not something new for us today. Pretenders have crept in to the church unnoticed. It's amazing. He also says this, part B. They were long before marked for condemnation. Those tares are going to be condemned by God. They're going to be taken care of by God. And it says, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into a long word, licentiousness. Now, I, that's a good Bible word. All it means is immorality and evil, in, indulgence of the flesh. In other words, Paul talks about it in his letters. The grace of God says, if you've sinned and you ask forgiveness, God will forgive you. Well, some people said, well, that's good news. And there are some faiths where you can sin all week and go and get forgiven on Friday night and you're good, or Saturday night and you're good for church on Sunday. That, he's talking about that kind of living where you think that you can sin because all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. And so you sin all you want, ask for forgiveness, and we're good. And they said, no, a true believer is not going to sin all they want. They're going to strive to live a holy life pleasing to God. Now, if they make a mistake, they'll ask forgiveness. But this licentiousness means they indulge the flesh. They may be greedy. They may be gluttonous. They may be immoral. They may be involved in drugs or all kinds of alcohol, things that indulge the flesh that the Bible says are evil. But true contenders are not going to live that way. Are you with me? He said, they were long before marked for condemnation. They're ungodly persons who turn grace, God's forgiveness, into licentiousness, and they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's an interesting one. There are some people who want to say that Jesus was a great teacher, or he was a prophet, or he was even a miracle worker. But when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? They said, well, some say a prophet, some say a miracle worker, some say a good teacher. And then he said, who do you say I am? And what did, what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I want you to know Robert emailed me this week, or emailed me this week about something I said in a sermon, and he did the right thing. I like to have fun talking about Mother Teresa, okay? And I want you to know Mother Teresa, her life was amazing. Here's the problem. She wrote a book. And in that book, she was, she was asked, well, do you share Jesus and tell people they have to repent of their sins? She says, no. There are many ways to God. And some find God through Buddha. Some find God through these other things. Right, Robert? And I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this until I read it this week. Now, here's the problem. You can do good things, but if you don't believe that Jesus was the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, you've got a serious problem. You're a pretender. Are you with me? In fact, if you're in the book of Jude, you only have to go back a page to 2 John. Can you look at 2 John? And there's only one chapter in it, verse 7. 2 John, verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Small anti, A. Are you with me, folks? And so these pretenders that we're looking at, what do they look like? 
these pretenders I want to use that word, they're licentious. The flesh is important. And they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. So if you look at somebody and they say, well, Jesus is just one way, that's a pretender. Jesus is not one way. He is the way, folks. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's just what, that, I'm not saying this is his word. That's what the Bible says. And so as you look for pretenders, there's some things you can look for. Let's move on to verse 5. And we're going to look at a lot of things about pretenders. Verses 5 to 7. Now, I'm not going to dwell here, but listen to these words. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now stop right there. He's writing to Christians who are Jews, more than likely, and he's reminding them of the Old Testament. Remember Moses? Moses brought two million people out of slavery. But what happened to those two million people? Did they believe and enter the promised land? No. They said, no, we can't do it. It's, they're too strong. And he sent them into the wilderness for 40 years until what? Everybody over 20 died. And he's reminding them that our God is a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. And he said, remember, he judged your forefathers. And he said, he brought them out of the land of Egypt, but he subsequently destroyed those who didn't believe. Look at verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment on that great day. And he's reminding them, the, uh, the Jews knew this, that the Bible teaches, the Old Testament even, that Satan and his angels were cast from heaven and that hell was prepared for them. They were angels in heaven. But when they rejected the truth and they rebelled, hell was prepared for them. And then in verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they are in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now he's saying those licentious people that indulged the flesh, that went their own way, they also were judged, and God sent down fire. And he's using those three examples simply to let these Jewish believers understand that while God is a God of mercy and a God of grace, and, and, and the gospel is a, is a message of love and forgiveness, there's also judgment. God is also a God of judgment. And if you hear a message and you hear people talking about the goodness of God without the judgment of God, you're not hearing the whole truth. You're listening to pretenders. And there's a lot of pretenders in pulpits today in America that want to give you half the gospel. God loves us. You know, we're all going to heaven. It's all going to be great. Well, that sounds good, but it's not what the Bible says. See at the bottom of the page, pretenders will be punished by God. Now, I want to remind you something before we turn the page. I wrote this. We are all called to be contenders for and defenders of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Do you understand that? That becoming a Christian is just not your ticket to heaven. There's some work to be done here on earth. And as you come together as believers, you're to make sure you preach the whole gospel, the whole truth of the gospel, and you contend for the faith by pointing out the pretenders. 
And folks, this gets, in America today, this is not popular. If anyone says that person, that's heresy. That's a cult. That's not someone that claims to be a Christian. And if somebody says they're not, you say, well, you, how, who are you to judge? Well, I, I wrote for you 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13. We won't read it, but that in there, that's the verses where Paul said to the church at Corinth, you've got sin in your midst. You need to get that sin out of your church. And if someone says to you, we're not to judge, well, you're right, we're not to judge the world, but we are to judge those in the church. We are to make sure that the church, God's body, remains as pure as possible. Are you with me? And it's all of our responsibility as contenders to look for pretenders and deal with them lovingly, not hatefully, but dealing with them with the truth. Turn the page now, and let's, I'm going to go very quickly through some more things that he has to say about pretenders. I mean, these verses are incredible. Look what he says in verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men, he's talking about pretenders, also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. What is he saying there? Let's slow it down. It's not that hard. He's saying these pretenders, here's some things you'll notice about them. On the outline, I put it this way. They defile the flesh. What does that mean? It's the immorality. It's the Sodom and Gomorrah thing. It's the indulgence of the flesh. It may be addictions to alcohol or drugs. It may be sexual immorality. But it's things that defile and hurt the flesh that the Bible says are evil. They defile the flesh. It's sin and immorality. It says they reject authority. Now, in Bible study this morning, we talked about authority and studied it a bit. God is the ultimate authority, but in this world, he sets up authorities, governments. In the family, he has authority. In the church, he has authority. And these men revile authority. They say, I can set my own morality. In America today, you're hearing them say this. I don't have to follow the Bible. I don't, I don't accept it as authority. I don't have to listen to the leaders in my church. I'm as strong as they are. I mean, I can, I can make up my own morality. They revile authority, and then they reject authority, and they revile angelic beings. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic beings. What does that mean? Well, that means they speak evil of spiritual things. Now, listen to me. They speak evil of spiritual things. They revile it. And sometimes they revile leaders in the church. They revile when God's Holy Spirit is doing something, they revile it. They're pretenders. Verse 9, he then says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now listen, folks. He's giving an example that the Jews knew about. I don't want to dig into this too much, but the Jews studied and believed that Michael the archangel disputed with the devil about the body of Moses. That's nowhere in Scripture that I know of. Robert, do you know of any place in Scripture? It's not talked about in Scripture, but in some of their other writings. And But when Michael disputed with the devil, he didn't even rebuke the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, take that into the church. If you're a true contender, you don't rail on your pastor and your leader. You don't say evil things about them. You talk to them, and if you bring up anything you want, if you think they're not doing right, you bring it up and talk to them. 
but you don't revile. Oh, that guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, I don't believe what's going on in the church. I don't, I'm, I'm just so, you don't do that. You go talk to him, tell us what I'm concerned about this or about that. But it's all right to say, Lord, would you deal in the church with this person? I don't think it's right. It's all right to talk to the Lord about it. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, excuse me, I turned a page without knowing it. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning reasonable animals, by these things they are destroyed. So what he's saying is these pretenders tend to talk too much. They complain, they argue, we're going to see more about that. They revile authority in the church. And the very things they indulge in, the licentiousness, are the things that are destroyed. Have you seen people destroyed by sexual immorality, by alcohol, by drugs, by self-indulgence? He's saying those are the things that are destroying them. Let's move on to F on my outline, and it's verses 9 and 10. Then Verse 11 now. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, those are three references to the Old Testament. And again, these Jewish believers would know about all three of them very quickly. What was the way of Cain? What did Cain do that was so wrong? He murdered his brother. And if you look in 1 John 3.12, I put that reference verse down there for you, it'll tell you that it was because he had evil in his heart. He was greedy. He was, he was indulging the flesh, and it led him. So evil goes in the blank on the other side. Cain's heart was filled with evil. He rushed into the error of Balaam. Well, who is Balaam? Balaam's the guy that his donkey talked to him. Do you remember? But Balaam, who knew about God, was a diviner. He was a guy that read tea leaves. He was not a true follower of God. He, would, he worshiped idols. I put idols in that blank over there. So he, he had idols in his life. And then he said, and they they perished in the rebellion of Korah. What's the rebellion of Korah? Well, you'll find it in, in number 16. Korah was when the, uh, some of the priests, the people who were involved in the church, said, we're as good as Moses. Now, be careful with this. When you begin to say, my, what I have to say is just as important as the pastor. I don't have to follow the pastor. I don't have to, now you can, you can say to the pastor, I disagree with you. But when you begin to say, I can, I'm just as good as the pastor. I'm just as good as the leader that God has put in place. You begin to have problems. That's, that's ego and it's rebellion. You can put either one of those. Your ego overcomes your good sense. So he gives them three examples and they know these. If you want to study them, you'll discover that gone the way of Cain means your heart's filled with evil. Rushed into the air of Balaam means you've got idols in your life. Or you've perished in the rebellion of Korah. That means you've got a rebellious spirit. You don't submit. And he says, woe to pretenders because they have done these three things. Then he goes on to say this in verse 12. Watch. These are the men who are hidden weeks in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear. Caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. 
So now he gives some analogies. What great word pictures. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read these words, and I want you to try to picture it in your mind. He said, these pretenders, they're like hidden reefs in your love cruise. What's a hidden reef? It's something under the water that causes a ship to be sunk. You better watch out for them is what he's saying. And when they come to your feast and they're, they're enjoying your fellowship, but man, behind the scenes, they're licentious. Behind the scenes, they're rebellious. Behind the scenes, they're doing things to cause dissension. They're like a hidden reef at your love feasts. Look at the next one. He says they're like clouds without water. Let's say you've got a drought going on, and you see these clouds coming, and you say, oh, wow, we're going to get the rain we need. Nope. There's no help in these clouds. They look like the real thing, but they've got no water in them. They're like clouds without water. Look what he says next. He says, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Autumn trees without fruit. Doubly dead. I mean, what good's a tree that produces no fruit or a dead tree? It doesn't help anybody. These pretenders are like those kind of trees. Trees without fruit, doubly dead. And then he says they're like wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Their sin, their immorality, their, their mouths, what they say. It, it's like wild waves that are casting up foam to their shame. And the last one he says, like wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Man, aren't those some incredible word pictures describing whom now? Pretenders in the church. Now, there's going to be some prophecy about these pretenders. Verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam Prophesied. Now, let's stop a second. He must be writing to Jews. How, many, how much do you know about Enoch? A little bit. He was the seventh generation from Adam, and you'll find him in the book of Genesis. But uh, once again, there's not a lot of detail in Scripture about Enoch, but Jewish tradition and other books in Jewish history told about Enoch. And Enoch, they knew that Enoch prophesied this. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That, that's in verse 14, but the prophecy, I've got to find it in my notes. Uh, come on, here we go. Well, I'll, find, I'll, I'll let you know if I find it, but it's, it's um, that's from Scripture. It's, it's from the book of Psalms, but it's, it's actually attributed here to Enoch, that Enoch said thousands of years before this that the Lord came, that it was prophesied that the Lord was going to come with these holy ones to execute judgment on all the ungodly. Now watch, of their ungodly deeds and... They're harsh things which they have spoken against God. Again, pretenders are going to be judged. It was, it was actually prophesied by Enoch. But there's also a prophecy. Uh, well, I've got to go on with Enoch. Let me finish that. Verse 16, 
These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Now, here's some more characteristics of pretenders. It's on your outline if you'd like to look. Grumblers, finding fault, lustful, speaking arrogantly, flattering people to gain an advantage. Now, when you're in the church as a true contender and a believer and a follower of Jesus, if you see people grumbling, finding fault, indulging their flesh, they're lustful, they're speaking arrogantly, or they're flattering people to gain an advantage, what can you know about that person? They're pretending. Now, all of us may from time to time make a mistake in these areas, but a true contender, a true believer, asks forgiveness. And when, the, when it's brought to their attention, they say, I'm sorry. But a pretender says, no. They stand up and say, oh, the Bible says I can do it. The Bible says I'm forgiven if I sin. The Bible says that I need to tell people when they're wrong. Well, no, there's better ways to do it. You don't grumble. You don't find faults. You don't lust. You don't speak arrogantly. And you don't flatter people for, to gain an advantage. Now, Enoch's prophecy talked about that, but look what he says next. He goes on and says, verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord. Now he's going to give us some things that the apostles said, verse 18, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So on your outline, the apostles' prophecy, in the last days there will be those who are mockers, lustful, divisive. Divisive is that blank. Worldly. And the last one, devoid of the Spirit. This is the ending of what he has to say about pretenders. Could I review it with you real quickly? Go back to the first page. They've crept in unnoticed. Under part B, they were long before marked for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Turn the page. Pretenders act like this. They defile the flesh, sin and immorality. They reject authority. That's rebellion. They revile angelic beings. That's unbelief. The Bible says they'll be destroyed by the very things that they're doing. F. Woe to pretenders because they've gone the way of Cain into evil. They've rushed into the air of Balaam with idols. They've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Their ego has become more important than submitting and following. Pretenders are like hidden reefs, clouds without water, autumn trees without fruit, wild waves, wandering stars. Enoch said, God will judge those who are grumblers that find fault, that are lustful, that speak arrogantly, that flatter people to gain an advantage. The apostles have written, that in the last days there will be those who are mockers and lustful. They're divisive, they're worldly, they're devoid of the Spirit. Is that a mouthful? And I went through it very quickly. But do you get the idea that if you're to contend for the faith and be a contender as a true believer, you've got to watch out for pretenders? And I would say to the leaders of this church, it's, prime, it's everybody's responsibility, but one of the great jobs of uh, pastors and elders in the church is to protect the flock. It's not just to feed the flock. Oh, get this picture in your head. We talked about it in Bible study. Yes, the shepherds are to make sure that the, the, the sheep have enough food. They have enough water. 
and that, you know, that, that they're taken care of. But the other thing they have to do is they've got that rod for a reason. They're to protect the quiet in the world from those that would come in and cause problems. So first, I want the, the book talks about the challenge for contenders, to contend for the faith. The problem of pretenders, and let's end with, but what is the true work of contenders? I don't think Jude wanted to end his book with all the bad. I don't think we should ever emphasize the bad. And Jude was the same way. He wanted to make sure we were aware of it. But then he comes back and he ends with some incredible verses. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. I believe first, the Bible, this book teaches us that we're to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. How do we do that? By praying in the Holy Spirit. Parents, folks, prayer is so important. And I thank those of you that come on Wednesday nights to pray. Praying together is important. Praying our, alone is important. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, keeping yourselves in the love. What is that? You can't keep yourself in the love of God the Father without keeping yourself in love with each other. That's what a body is about, is loving each other. But then he says, waiting for Christ's return is heaven. Do you understand that as Christians, as we deal with contenders, we're to focus on praying, we're to focus on keeping ourselves in the love of God by fellowshipping with another, staying in the word, and waiting for Christ's return in heaven. And then he closes by saying this, and have mercy on some who are doubters. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We're not only to build ourselves up in the faith, we're to care for outsiders. How do you care for outsiders? First, you demonstrate mercy you know, you should not be upset when a family member or a friend says, well, I, I don't really believe in that. I, 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 I have doubts about the Bible. That's a perfect opportunity to say, that's great. Can we talk about it? Let me t tell you what I know and what I believe. Have mercy on them. Don't condemn the doubters. At least if they're doubting, they may be open to hearing. And I could tell you stories of people who were doubters that became believers. Then it says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Wow, get a picture in your head of a fire. And you're snatching them out. Can I tell you a quick story? Some years ago, many years ago, in fact, I went for the foundation to um, Dallas, Texas. And I went to see some attorneys. And I had planned to be there Monday, Tuesday, and fly out to another meeting somewhere else. And so I got to town, and I went to see the attorneys on Monday. And lo and behold, I finished. I was done early. I went Monday afternoon and Tuesday morning, and I was done. I had a, all Tuesday afternoon and evening for nothing. I was going to fly out the next day. So... I went for a run and exercise, and that night I decided to go see a movie. It was one of the um, movies that Debbie didn't want to see. It was a, some science thing. And so I went to see the movie, and on my way back to the hotel in downtown Dallas, it was turning dark, and I was driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden all the lights in front of me went red. I slammed on my brakes, and the cars parted, and I screeched to a halt, and my headlights were shining on two cars that had just had a head-on collision. There was a little Saturn convertible, foreign car convertible on this side. They had hit 
like this and then had turned. And on, on my left was the Saturn. I still can picture it. And on the right was a pickup truck, an old pickup truck. Well, people started getting out of their cars and running to the vehicle. I got out and ran to the Saturn, and I reached down and looked in, and there was a young man slumped at the wheel. Now, remember, it's a convertible. The top was down, so I could reach right in. And as I got there, there was another man that joined me. I don't know who this guy was. I'd never met him before. I've never seen him again. And as we began to try to get this young man, college-age student, out of the car, flames popped up on the passenger side of the car. And we're pulling at the seatbelt. I, I mean, I remember this. We could not get that seatbelt undone. And the flames started getting bigger. And this is the truth. I took a step back. And this stranger, I don't know who, said, come on, we can do this. So we stepped back up and pulled and pushed, and the seatbelt came off. And we grabbed him and pulled him out of the car, and we dragged him back. We were only probably from here to the front row of the church. I, and I was cradling his head in my lap. And the flames got bigger, and the whole car was engulfed in flames. A highway patrolman showed up in a few minutes, and he said, man, you've got to get back further. And I pulled him back, and I thought he was dead. I really thought he was dead. And then all of a sudden, he did this. He started doing this. And it seemed like an eternity, but some minutes later, the ambulance showed up and took him off to the hospital. I, I won't tell the whole story, but the long story short is I went to the hospital to try to find him, and I couldn't find him. And so I went to the police department. At the hospital, I said, I'm, gonna, I'm a, a pastor, and I, I just saw an accident. I'd like to find out what happened. No, we can't tell you. I went to the, the police officer. I said, I'm an attorney, and I need a copy of the police report. And so they sent me a copy of the police report. And I wrote a letter to this gentleman, and his mother responded and said, he was injured. It took six months for him to recover. He was a college student, but thank you for your help. Now, why do I tell you that story? In my mind, when I read these words of snatched him from the fire, that's the picture in my mind. Now, we've got to be aware of pretenders. We've got to deal with pretenders. But what's the real job of believers in a church? Pray. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for Christ's return. But for outsiders, demonstrate mercy. Save others by snatching them from the fire. When you share God's word with them and they believe and become a believer, you've snatched them from the fire. And then to have mercy on some with fear. These words are so picturesque. Now, I want you to picture this. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. What are we saying? You may have to deal with people that are so evil and so dirty and so full of the world that they smell. You don't want to get close from them. You hate, you hate their sin, but you love them. This is one of the best verses in the Bible about loving the sinner but hating the sinner. Are you with me? And the... So in his conclusion, he tells us how we should live. So let me ask you a question. Are you a contender? I didn't ask you if you're a believer. I ask you if you're a contender. I know Pastor Robert's heart is our church would be filled with contenders. That we're praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God. We're waiting for Christ to return together. We're serving him. We're demonstrating mercy to doubters. We're saving others by snatching them from the fire. We're having mercy on some with fear. Are you with me? If you're not a contender, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to be one today. The Bible never says, be a church attender. It doesn't say, go to church and you'll go to heaven. That isn't what it says. The Bible says, be a disciple. Go and make disciples. Teaching them to observe. That's why in this church, we try and preach the Bible. 
We want you to know what the Bible says. We really don't care if you know what we think. Robert and I and Manny, whoever stands up here, is not going to say, well, I think. Who cares what I think? Thus saith the Lord. He ends with a prayer. Would you look at me and let me read it to you? As if it was being said to you as a contender. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I printed up a copy of that. Manny, would you, would you hand those out? Come up and start hearing the prayer. And on a bookmark, I want you to put in your Bible a copy of this great, great prayer. It's Jude's prayer. Read it to yourself. Memorize it. But the essence is we can't live for God on our own. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Who, who can keep us from stumbling? God, Father, Jesus Christ. And he's able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Who can, who can help us stand in his presence, blameless? Only he can. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And the last word is amen. Say it again. Amen. I want us to be the church. And this little book that the half-brother of Jesus wrote, the unbelieving half-brother of Jesus that became a believer after the resurrection and became a martyr for what he believed. When he wrote to the church, he said, I wanted to write to you all the nice, happy things about our faith, but I was compelled to write to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in among you we need to be aware of pretenders, but we don't focus on pretenders, right? We focus on the final thing, loving each other and loving God, learning his word, and then with outsiders, snatching them from the fire, having mercy on those, even though you hate their clothing that's polluted by the flesh. We serve the Lord together in love. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this little book this letter written to Jewish believers thousands of years ago that is so, so appropriate and so relevant today. May we, each of us, commit today to be contenders for the faith. And I pray that this church would be known as a church that contends for the faith, loving you, loving each other, upholding the word of God, but, Father, standing for truth in an age when people don't want to hear. And if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, Father, as Savior, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw them to you. If there's someone here that needs to make a commitment to join this church, I pray you'd lead them to do it. But, Father, only your Holy Spirit can do that, so do it in Jesus' name. And then lead us to greater and newer things for your glory, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,